Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hi, everyone. I'm Michael Calori. I'm an editor here at Wired, and you are listening to The Gadget Lab, the podcast where we talk about the latest gadgets, apps, and services that you need to know about and how they impact our lives. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Wired Senior Associate Editor Ariel Pardes. Hello! And Senior Writer Lauren Good. Hello! And this week on the show, we'll have Paris Martineau here to tell us all about how you can never really unlink your Facebook and Instagram accounts. Paris has plunged into the depths of your Instagram settings and found all kinds of horrifying things about how Facebook knows who you are, even if you've never linked your Facebook and Instagram accounts. It's great. Just like we can never really escape Facebook on this podcast, you can't really escape (laughs) Facebook even if you take all the steps you think are necessary to unlink your accounts. We're going to talk about that. We're going to try to give you some actionable advice and how you can really handle that, although honestly there's not much you can do. Um, In the meantime, though, let's get to the news because there's other news this week as well. Ariel, would you like to go first? Absolutely. This week, Apple responded to some complaints about contract workers listening into people's private conversations with Siri. Like most things that are described as artificially intelligent, Siri still relies on a great deal of human help behind the scenes. And one example of that is Apple's practice of sampling a small percentage of Siri's interactions to grade them on how well Siri responds. So if you say, hey, Siri, what's the time in London? And Siri says, here's what I found on the web, right? Apple (laughs) grades that by saying like, that was not so good. So this knowledge has recently entered the zeitgeist, especially after The Guardian published a report about how this works, which made note of all kinds of private and personal things that Apple's contractors overhear on Siri recordings. They mentioned things like uh, sex noises, drug deals, medical conversations, and people got pretty upset about that, understandably. So in a blog post this week, Apple acknowledged that some people did not realize how this grading program worked or didn't know that people might be listening in. And so Apple now says a few things are going to change. First, it's no longer going to save recordings of your interactions with Siri. 
And if you want to help Siri learn from your audio samples, you can now opt into that, but it's an explicit opt in. And when people do opt in, Apple says that only employees, not contractors, will listen to those samples. So Apple talks a big game about privacy, right? Um, Mike, what do you make of this? I mean, this is sort of standard practice across Silicon Valley. What do you sort of make of Apple's response here? Yeah, I don't want to get too cynical, uh, but it's kind of true that this is a bit of a reckoning. Uh, I think, you know, it's we're at the stage where the thing where you talk to the computer and then the computer understands what you're saying and then does what you ask it to do. Uh, a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times there is a, a person behind the curtain making that happen, a human being behind the curtain making that happen. And they need y- you to speak into the microphone and they need to hear it and they need to route that in order to make this work better. Uh, they are just not being as transparent about it as they should. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important that we're understanding that now, like as a society, we're getting closer. And also we, over the last five years or so have, or even longer than that, if you consider the smartphone era, we have allowed microphones into our homes. Like we have looked at a device that has a microphone on it and said, yes, I want that in my house. So we kind of brought this on ourselves, but again, I don't want to seem like a doomsayer here, but this is the way that the world works, especially voice recognition technology. So not too surprised to hear this happen and also not at all surprised by the uh, negative reaction to it Mm -hmm. because you should be upset Mm -hmm. it's messed up Mm -hmm. but here we are yeah you know what else is messed up how (laughs) bad siri is at responding to requests (laughs) anyway what else is going on um i have some interesting legal news for you so get ready uh the former oxymoron (laughs) (laughs) interesting legal news this this i think is kind of interesting yes it is The former Uber and Waymo employee and self-driving car guru Anthony Lewandowski was indicted on federal charges Tuesday by a judge in San Jose, California. Now, Lewandowski is looking at 33 counts of theft and attempted theft of trade secrets. And this all stems from incidents that go back as far as 2015. At that time, Lewandowski was a Google employee working on the company's self-driving car project, Prosecutors allege that Lewandowski downloaded some 14,000 files from Google's internal server onto his personal computer. These files contain schematics and technical documents for circuit boards and LiDAR systems that Google was using for autonomous vehicle navigation. After allegedly downloading the documents, Lewandowski left Google to start the self-driving truck company Auto, which was then gobbled up by Uber. And prosecutors allege that at the time Lewandowski stole the documents, he was already in talks with Uber to switch teams and go work with them on self-driving car tech. If this all sounds familiar, it's probably because you heard the same details in Waymo and Google's civil suit against Uber, which was settled a couple years ago in 2017. Now those same incidents are being brought up again by federal investigators And if he's found guilty this time of 33 counts of theft and attempted theft, Lewandowski is facing a maximum sentence of 10 years in prison and a maximum fine of over $8 million. There has been uh, some great reporting happening here at Wired on this story over the years. And the two reporters who are on that story, uh, Ariane Marshall and Alex Davies, both have stories about this. Uh, Ariane's in particular lays out uh, what's going on with this with this um, prosecution. And Alex's story traces Lewandowski's 
sort of Forrest Gump-like presence in the self-driving uh, auto world. He has long been at the forefront of this technology, and he is one of the most knowledgeable, if not the most knowledgeable person in the self-driving car world. So the fact that he is wrapped up in this um, indictment is big news in the world of cars that drive themselves. This is significant for a few reasons. One is because, as you point out, and as Ariane and Alex have reported, Lewandowski was so early to this technology. He's somebody who's been described as being completely obsessed with figuring out autonomous vehicles and got so bored while working at Google that he went off and started a company on the side um, and, you know, then ended up in this mess and ended up, I guess, makes it sound like it was sort of a passive thing. He was very actively involved in this mess, <laughs> and that is why he has been charged. The second significant thing is that this has been, uh, these are federal charges having been brought against him. Uh, it's not uncommon to hear about civil suits, especially when it comes to things like trade secrets, but the fact that it has escalated to this level is, is a pretty big deal. Um, it's also worth keeping Keeping in mind, too, that I think in general, there is a concern right now in the United States broadly and specifically in the technology industry, because that's like, you know, our big, innovative, growing industry, um, growth industry in the United States. There are concerns about trade secret theft. And so this sends a signal this, that, you know, with by charging Lewandowski, it sends a message to people who are working within the ranks of some of our most important technology companies that like, look, this could actually happen. Um, and and so I think that could be a part of it as well. Do you mean to say that um, companies uh, have for a long time been getting away with stealing secrets from each other and then just settling when they get sued? Well, I mean, specific employees, you know, moving in and out of different companies, moving from companies, moving like from country to country, Mm. you know, going from U.S. to China or China to U.S. and and then, you know, carrying with them some type of Mm. trade secret. Um, And it's I think in in a lot of ways, this is this is sending a message to people that like, look, you, you could be indicted and you could be charged. Well. What else is going on in the world, Lauren? Well, let's talk about Amazon. This is a fun one because I got to do a little bit of informal shopping for this. Amazon <laughs> has introduced a feature that shows users ads for similar products just before they're about to add something to their shopping cart on Amazon.com. The issue is that Amazon is aggressively promoting its own goods under its own private label as you attempt to buy competing products. This was first reported on earlier this week by the Washington Post's Jay Green. So in the Washington Post's experiment, which included dozens of product searches, they found that um, there was a similar items to consider ad that would pop up when they tried to buy things like Glad trash bags or Dr. Scholl's insoles or Energizer batteries, among other products. And so I tried to replicate this in my own brief experiment. I tried to buy a Belkin Wemo smart plug, a BarkBox dog bed, even though I don't have a dog. I would just love one. It was aspirational. <laughs> um, I tried to buy a queen comforter bed set who you know doesn't love a new bed set. And then I had like kind of a mixed experience. Um, when I first tried to buy the Belkin Wemo smart plug, um, Amazon like popped up this like buy an Echo. Like people really like to buy Echoes with this. And I'm like, okay, well, I already have one of those. Um, when I tried to buy the BarkBox dog bed, nothing really unusual happened. But then when I went to go try the um, the comforter, the first two search results were Amazon Basics results. Um, one of was, so it was like weird. It's like one was sponsored and one was just like, here's the listing. And then when I went to go add another comforter to my cart, Amazon was still suggesting Basics at the time of checkout. So the company is like, and these are just a few examples, but the company is in fact very aggressive in pushing its own products, which raises questions around how 
fair that is. Amazon, on the other hand, says this kind of promotion is not very different from the way that other stores promote their own goods. Right. Because like if you go to CVS, for example, or Walgreens, and you're looking to buy like tampons, you can buy Tampax or you can buy like the CVS brand or the Walgreens brand, right? And for a lot of products and a lot of consumers, that is fine. Like you'd rather just buy the cheapest, most generic thing that gets the job done. So like, I do think there's an argument to be made that like every retailer does this. And like for Amazon to just be doing it online, that's fine. But Amazon is a very different kind of retailer, right? And like, if they're gonna make this argument that they're a marketplace, not a not a monopoly <laughs> that's sort of like promoting their own stuff, then like, I actually think that's kind of messed up. Also algorithms that promote specific items are very different than just having something on the shelf that's yeah. next to another product, right? That's a great point. A physical retail presence is not a perfect metaphor or analogy for a lot of what's going on now because of recommendation engines and the way that things work on the internet. But this is also something that Apple, I think, has um, you know been sort of like fingers been pointed at them before. And and I know I've noticed like back in the day before they they announced Apple Watch, they you know they were doing this like twice annual clearing of the shelves, and all of a sudden all of the competing fitness trackers disappeared, <laughs> and they're like literally clearing the shelves for Apple Watch, you mm-hmm. know. And so you're like, oh, that's like anti-competitive, but in mm-hmm. reality they control their own retail presence and they can do whatever the hell they want in their retail mm-hmm. presence, right? So Amazon is effectively making that argument on the internet. Yeah, and it's very different. It's It would be like if I decide, hmm, I want to go into CVS to buy Advil. And then right when I walk in the door, there is a CVS worker standing there holding up a box of CVS brand ibuprofen. And then I don't want that. And I go to the shelf and I pick up the Advil and I take it to the counter. And like, while I'm standing in line, there's a CVS worker standing there looking at me, holding a box of CVS branded ibuprofen and like encouraging me to just buy that instead and showing me the price difference. Like, yeah, that's right. And the, and the difference isn't just that that's annoying as a consumer. It's that if you're a brand who's trying to sell your <laughs> yeah. ibuprofen at CVS or on Amazon, you're like, that's not fair. <laughs> I exactly. paid to have this shelf space. You can't just keep elbowing us out of the way. Exactly. Something else that's not fair is the way that Facebook and Instagram interact on your mobile phone in ways that you may not be aware of. Here to tell us all about that is Paris Martineau. We're going to take a break and then come back with questions for her. I'm Reid Hoffman. And I'm Aria Finger. If you're interested in learning about how technology and humanity can come together to make a better future, and possible is for you. We invite ambitious builders and deep thinkers like Trevor Noah, Kara Swisher, Sam Altman, and so many more. Help us sketch out the brightest version of the future and what it will take to get there. If you want to be part of the future today, then subscribe to Possible wherever you listen to podcasts. When you go into your settings on Instagram, you'll notice an option to link that social app with other social accounts, including the big blue from parent company Facebook. But it turns out that does little to actually unlink your account from Facebook. And it's part of Facebook's strategy to keep you hooked for as long as it can. Here to tell us about her story on Wired.com this week is Paris Martineau. 
Paris is one of our fabulous staff writers based in New York, but she's here in San Francisco this week for the very first time, and we're thrilled to have her on the Gadget Lab podcast. Paris, thank you for joining. Thanks so much for having me, guys. So when you report on social media, like many of us do, you often stumble upon story ideas through actual use. Um, Is that how this story came about? Yeah, basically, I I was going on vacation the other week, and I on my way to the airport, I was like, why do I have Facebook on my phone and deleted that, but kept Instagram? Because, of course, I was going on vacation, and you have to post all of your good vacation pics. Um, And I started to realize, like, midway through the week, I was getting a lot of weird notifications in the app on a setting I didn't realize had been there on my profile, which was for this button called Open Facebook. And I'd click it, and it'd bring me to, it'd open a Google Chrome window and open Facebook, which I thought was insane, because I didn't have my account linked. How did it know to log me into Facebook on a mobile browser? How was it giving me these notifications that also, it'd say like, oh, I have nine notifications to open Facebook. And then I'd go to Facebook, and I had two. So it was just a whole mess of confusing things. And I was like, ah, you know, I'll look into this a little bit. It won't be this hard to figure out. And it turned out like it was a very complicated process trying to get a straight answer from Facebook about this. So like common sense suggests that if you unlink your Facebook account from your Instagram profile, they wouldn't be linked and this wouldn't happen. But that's apparently not how it works here. Um, Clicking unlink account or never linking them in the first place doesn't really matter because regardless of everything, those two accounts are going to be linked in the back end from the moment you make a Facebook or Instagram account. Even if you, let's say, used a different email address or a phone number or device to create your Instagram account versus your Facebook, chances are Facebook probably has been able to suss out from all of the kind of other information and stuff it can pick up about you, that these are all the same one, and they'll connect them in the back end to serve you ads, recommendations, and in cases like this, try and funnel traffic basically from Instagram to Facebook. What was Facebook's explanation for this? So at first they said, um, this is basically a bug. There's no reason why an unlinked account should be having this happen. Yeah, technically accounts are connected in the back end, but this is a bug. Don't worry about it. We'll call you later and explain more about why it's a bug, but it's definitely just something with your account. And then I was like, well, I talked to like five or six other people who are also having this issue and kind of was back and forth for a over two weeks, I think. Um, And then the other day they called me and they're like, actually, it's not a bug, it's a feature, Um, was the exact quote, I believe. And they said, yeah, whenever it's a linked Facebook account, you will probably be getting notifications that are accurate on the open Facebook button. Like if you have nine Facebook notifications, it'll show that there. But unlinked accounts, the number might be zero or one or some other number, it just might be totally inaccurate. That's insane. Which is crazy. First of all, yeah. that they would that they would admit that, um, or that it's happening at all. But it speaks to something that you talk about in your story, which is that it, the the point is not really to give you better information about what's happening on your Facebook account um, from Instagram. It's in fact just to drive you to the Facebook app since they're bleeding traffic on on the big blue. Yeah, that's the part of this I think is really interesting because um, like a year ago is when um, Facebook started to bleed traffic at such a high rate while Instagram was rocketing up. They'd hit over a billion users. Um, People were flocking to Instagram, so Facebook kind of cut off all support for Instagram. They stopped redirecting Facebook users there, kind of just ripped out um, all support mechanisms from the company. And now, a year later, 
it seems like the kind of opposite has happened, that they're building all these things into Instagram to try and funnel Instagram users back to Facebook, kind of seeing what, uh, I don't know, all these scandals and um, all the support they've given this company now has wrought. Does it matter if your Instagram is private or not? No, it doesn't. My Instagram is private, actually, and this still all happened. Um, so even if you've gone to all through all of the pains of having a separate Instagram account from your Facebook account, you've kept your Instagram private, you've, you've not linked anything, Facebook is still just siphoning away data from what you're doing on Instagram into yeah. Big Blue. And they're using it to, I don't know, inform all of their recommendations kind of cross-app. Like, I don't know, I think about this stuff a lot because it is my job, too, and I thought that of all people, like, I would kind of know how my accounts stack up against each other and what sort of information is being used. Like, I mean, I looked at the linked account page. It shows that my Facebook and Instagram aren't linked, but apparently they are kind of on the back end. And um, this information is not only being used to inform, like, advertising profiles, but, like, Facebook told me that, say, let's say if I had a Finstagram or something, the people that I follow on my Finstagram or the stuff I interact with would then be used to, say, like, recommend what groups I should join in Facebook so they see some of the same people you're like stalking in your Finstagram would be in that same group, which is insane. You'd think that like these sort of lives would be kept separate in some way, especially if you are doing all, making all of the like choices to keep them separate. But really on the back end, they're all just in one big pot. This seems disingenuous on at least a couple levels. One being the data sharing that's going on behind the scenes that you seemingly have no control over, even if you're trying. Yeah. And two is the the badges or the notifications that indicate you have some sort of activity that you really don't. I mean, that's just like unethical app design. And notifications have to be one of my pet peeves. Yes, I know. So like, I, yeah, it's bad on so many levels. But for me, it makes me wonder about the future in which more of Facebook's apps are unified because the company has said that it plans to take, for example, its messaging apps and unify all of them on the back end. And that seems to me like there would just be no escape from data sharing whatsoever, like even if you're trying to stay off the main Facebook app. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now if you scroll over on the bottom of Instagram, it says Instagram from Facebook. So in one way, I guess we should all kind of expect this all to be in one pot. But when it comes, I don't know, these accounts that we now use and have had in many cases for years, they started when, let's say, most people didn't realize that Instagram and Facebook were owned by the same company. Or maybe you had an account before Facebook had bought Instagram. It's like, what are you supposed to do now? Um, Facebook had told me that they've started kind of connecting this data and linking it in this way since basically the minute they bought Instagram. That's when the process began back in 2012, which is kind of crazy to think about because it's hard. It wasn't something that I feel like was act, like easily communicated to the sort of people that this is affecting. Um, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back with some more questions for Paris. Hey, everybody. It's Neil. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. So Paris, I have a secondary account, which 
the teens call a Finstagram. <laughs> and something I've noticed in my own use of that account is that I constantly get uh, recommended follows who are my Facebook friends, right? So people who I'm, you know, friends with on Facebook because I went to high school with them or people that I work with um, sort of bleeding into this other secondary account that's very specifically not for those people. Um, and that to me feels like not just an annoying like the thing that happens when these accounts are all sort of merged together, but also potentially like a privacy concern. Um, did you find in your reporting that like this is sort of affecting people in a bigger way in terms of privacy? Yeah, I feel like especially in kind of that scenario, I'd seen a lot of users like had complained of whenever they're making a Instagram or some sort of account that they expect to be in some way separate from their prime Facebook account. And they've created it purposefully to kind of be detached from the life they live on Maine online. Um, still, like some people accidentally would have their Facebook friends and extended relatives get a notification that they made this account with some weird name because they've accidentally linked the account like purposefully to their Instagram, they said. and. Like the same goes for these sort of recommendations, which in cases where someone is making an account to like express some part of themselves that for some reason they can't do on traditional channels, that can be very dangerous. Right. And like, I think that speaks to the ways that we try to splinter our identities online that's mm -hmm. becoming increasingly difficult. I've heard stories of, you know, kids who haven't come out to their parents having a separate Instagram account that's sort of where they can be queer. Um, and obviously that's problematic if Facebook is sort of merging those together in a way that doesn't respect the way that people are putting up boundaries. So I have a question about what you can do about this. Like if I have a Facebook account and an Instagram account that are not linked, and now all of a sudden I realize that information is being shared from one account to another, is there any way I could prevent that? And I'm thinking maybe I could set up a Facebook account that is like a dummy account and then actually link my Instagram account to that bogus Facebook account. I mean, I feel like those would all just be linked to your other accounts then. They'd just all be kind of in the same pool because you're yeah. going to be using the same like phone and computer with those accounts. You're going to be connecting to them in the same sort of uh, Wi Fi networks in the same, let's say, the same wired office where all of our Bluetooth signals are around you. So they're going to know it's yours um, either way. So it'll, I don't know, end up going in the same pool no matter what, which I guess isn't a very helpful answer. But I think the unfortunate reality here is just that this is the way that it works. And we all just have <laughs> to I don't, not be okay with it, but just know that, I guess. And I, I do think it's critical that people like understand that this is how it works. So, I mean, thank you for writing the story, right? And thank you for enlightening all of us on it. But I also am just wondering, you touched upon this a little bit before, I'm wondering what's gonna happen with WhatsApp. You know, we've, we've all seen, you know, the massive growth of Instagram, but I mean, the massive growth of WhatsApp happened a few years ago. And I think people are probably often forget that it's a Facebook company. Um, is there going to be this sort of data sharing between who your who your WhatsApp friends are, who the people that you interact with on WhatsApp, and then recommendations that you get in the Facebook? Yeah, so um, I'm not sure the particular specifics of how each part of that works within WhatsApp, but I do know that 
when I was speaking to people at Facebook, they said this data sharing happens within all the apps in the Facebook family. So it includes WhatsApp. It includes any like CrowdTangle. I don't know what data they'd be able to glean from that, but whatever you're looking up on CrowdTangle, anything else that Facebook touches, whatever data they can glean from that is going to be kind of added to this large pot and being used to recommend things, serve ads, better understand you. Um, even in WhatsApp, which we normally think of as kind of like a closed network, given the way that chat is encrypted, it's still kind of subject to this sharing. Yeah, because they're still harvesting metadata, right? Mm -hmm. Who you talk to. When you talk to. When you talk to them. What kinds of things you share, like if you share a lot of photos or things like that. So it sounds like people who say, I'm not on Facebook, I just use Instagram, can really no longer say that. (laughs) Because you're using Facebook, and Facebook is using you. Absolutely. Should we go to recommendations and perhaps recommend that people really get off Facebook? Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps. It'll be hard. <laughs> <laughs> it would be hard. Okay, well, let's take a break, and then we will get to our recommendations. All right, let's do it. Paris, would you like to start? Um, yeah, my recommendation, non-Facebook related, though, is this uh, note-ticking app that I'm looking at right now. It's called Bear, like the animal. Um, it is... Fantastic. I don't know. I'm one of those people who I always like whenever I'm doing something for like work or life, I'll end up like taking a random note, generally in like the iPhone's notes app, or like I'll message it to myself in Slack and it's chaos and I never remember anything. And so like after thinking about it for a couple months, I finally downloaded this note taking app bear. And it's awesome because like you can tag all of your notes like uh, like I have one for like active and then it goes down to like my active stories or active to do's or active like notes from calls and then all of the tags kind of go into separate folders with each other and it's uh, very easy to search very simple highly would recommend it got does a great it, dark mode does it cost money um no the version I'm using is free and it's great I think if you like want the premium version I remember it's like really cheap and I think it like syncs and give you like one more feature did you say dark mode? Oh, it's a fantastic dark <laughs> mode. I'm a dark mode connoisseur, and this one is probably one of my favorite dark modes that I've seen. It's, like, not too dark, but it's, like, easy on your eyes. You wrote about dark mode I did. a couple months ago. It was a great story. The history of dark mode, why you should use dark mode. Why everything should have dark mode. I'm still pissed that Slack on desktop <laughs> doesn't have dark mode. It doesn't make sense, but it on mobile does, so that's <laughs> enough for me. <laughs> Paris and I have different opinions on dark mode, although... I, too, find it aesthetically pleasing. (laughs) Lauren, what's your recommendation? My recommendation is a film, and it's called The Last Black Man in San Francisco. It um, came out in theaters a little while ago. In fact, I think you can still see it in some in limited theaters, but it is now available on demand. And um, so I think I bought it on iTunes or I don't know what Apple is calling their thing these days. TV. Apple TV. Tunes TV. TV, Tunes Plus, Apple, I don't know. Toontown? I like, I honestly can't make sense of it. I bought it from The Thing, the blue app that you buy things from now on the Apple TV, and it was totally worth however much it was. I think it was $14. You might be able to find it for 12 on other services. A couple months ago, Emily Dreyfus, who was writing for Wired, also had the opportunity to interview the cast, and so I recommend going to read that story. We'll include that in the show links. But it's a fantastic story, um, and really, I to call it a story feels like it's not doing it justice. Some people have called it a poem to San Francisco, and I really felt that way when I watched it. It's a stunningly beautiful and heartfelt movie about gentrification and um, 
The protagonist is named Jimmy Fails, which happens to be his name in real life. It's directed by Joe Talbot, and it's about Jimmy and his best friend uh, reclaiming, in a way, what they feel is well, his his the home he grew up in in San Francisco, and what he feels is still his rightful home. And there's you know this one line in particular. We'll, we'll play, why don't we play it for you now? That kind of underscores um, some of the issues in in inequality that have risen in San Francisco. Maybe he's right. What if we shouldn't be here? should be here more. Some millionaire. So it's a really great film if you haven't seen it. Um, I really recommend watching it. It's incredibly heartfelt and beautiful. Um, I absolutely love this film. I saw it in theaters. Can I share a fun fact? Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite things about the film is that it has a really beautiful score. Like the music is just absolutely incredible. And the person who did the score is the brother of Adam Masseri, who runs Instagram. Oh, I wondered that actually. Oh. I saw Masseri in the credits because I, I am a movie nerd who actually reads all of the credits. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. It's not like a super common name. And obviously like he's in the Bay Area. So yeah, no. Adam posted a really nice Instagram about congratulating his brother, that's which is just cool. to say that Facebook has its claws in everything. <laughs> yes, it does. I mean, the score is beautiful, but I will say some of the most poignant moments of the film are when, um, I don't remember the character's name or if he had a name, but the guy in the street is actually singing um, acapella. And oh my God, that's so song. beautiful. Yeah. Ariel, what's your recommendation? Um, well, I was going to recommend a really excellent HBO show, but I haven't quite finished it yet, so I'm going to save that for a future recommendation. Um, instead, this week I want to recommend a Chrome extension that I really love, that I think is thematic. It's called Safe Book by Ben Grosser. Ben Grosser is a UX designer and artist who I wrote about for Wired last year. Um, he makes all kinds of cool little Chrome extensions. A lot of them do things like demetricate your social media platforms. So I have like the Twitter demetricator installed. I have the Instagram demetricator. They're amazing. Um, but he made this this one recently called Safe Book, which uh, you download it as an extension and then every time you log onto Facebook from Chrome, it removes all of the content. So like this, the basic architecture <laughs> of the site is still there, but like everything is just whited out. And you can see if you have a notification because there's like a little red square, but you can't see how many you have or like what they are. <laughs> it's completely dystopian, but really funny. And I downloaded it on my personal computer back when I was researching Ben Grosser and his demetricators. And um, I don't go on Facebook that often, but every time I do on my personal computer, I'm greeted with this like blank version of Facebook. And it just makes me laugh. Um, and I think if you're trying to disentangle your life from Facebook but don't quite want to delete your account, it's a great way to just like remind yourself of the absurdity of this stupid platform. Um, and give yourself a little delight every time you let log into Facebook and are greeted with the vast nothingness that is social media. It, you know, uh, sometimes I'll find myself at Facebook for whatever reason, like I click on a link and I'm in Facebook and then I just see all the stuff and I immediately get sucked in and it's like work to keep myself from getting sucked in. So this might actually be really helpful. It's also just funny, like, as I said, the, the architecture is there so you can see like what would be a post and like what would be like a comment, but like there's just no text, no images, no design, which is like, it's just funny. It's funny. Does that ever create more curiosity for you? Yeah, because sometimes I'm like, I have some number of notifications on Facebook. What are they? And you can click on them and, you know, nothing appears. It's it's very funny. 
Uh, Mike, what's your recommendation? So I want to recommend a show that's on Netflix. Um, It came out about a week ago, I think about a week ago, and nobody's really talking about it. So I have taken it upon myself to talk about it. It's called The Green Frontier, uh, or in the Spanish, it's Frontera Verde. It is a show uh, that is entirely in Spanish, and it's from Colombia. It's Colombia's first Netflix original production. And probably the best way to describe it in shorthand is to call it um, True Detective in the Amazonian Jungle because it is a police detective story. Um, There are uh, four women who are murdered off screen and you sort of are dropped into the story as the detective comes from Bogota to start investigating the murders. What she finds there uh, ends up being not only a murder mystery, but this vast mystery of um, mysticism and uh, indigenous cosmology and plant medicine and all of the things that exist in the Amazon that normally we don't get to see. Um, I was a little nervous when I was starting it because usually when you watch shows like this where like person from the big city goes to the indigenous part of their country and then ends up being embroiled in all of the drama happening there, you wind up falling into some tropes like the white savior and the noble savage. And this show in particular sidesteps that in a way that I think was really inventive and really cool. Um, It's a limited series, so there are eight episodes. And I won't give any more away than to say that uh, it primarily centers around two women, one of whom is the detective from Bogota, and the other is a person from one of the indigenous cultures that she is talking to and interacting with who has uh, magical powers. So there is magic in the show, like real magic, not just people tripping on ayahuasca, although there is is that too, but like real actual magic. And it's just a beautiful show. It's beautifully shot. It's beautifully scored. The acting is incredible, and it stars nobody that you've ever heard of, which is really amazing. Um, And it's also just really like, it's really nice to see these kinds of stories coming out of South America. It's also very potent right now because it touches on so much of what we're reading about in the news with the fires in the Amazon and indigenous cultures being uh, displaced by the capitalist agenda and (laughs) loggers and oil men and things like that. So the Green Frontier on Netflix or Frontera Verde, if you watch Netflix in a Spanish speaking country. Um, The reason I came to the show was because it was uh, executive produced by a guy named uh, Ciro Guerra. And you may remember about two years ago on the show, I recommended a movie called Embrace of the Serpent, uh, which he directed also from Colombia. So if you like Frontera Verde, also seek out Embrace of the Serpent by the same director. Highly recommended. Paris, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Paris Martineau. You can read your story on Wired.com. It is called On Instagram, Unlink Account Won't Unlink You from Facebook. <laughs> it won't. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll also put it in the show notes so it's easy to find. Uh, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, of course, please leave us a review. It helps us uh, get good feedback from you, and it helps people find the show who might be looking for it. And uh, Paris, why don't you tell people how they can find you on Instagram? 
Oh, you can't. I'm a private account. If you want to follow me on Twitter, though, I'm at Paris Martineau. <laughs> Lauren, how how people find you on Twitter? At Lauren Good with an E. I'm at Pardesoteric. I am at Snack Fight. And you can write to all of us at Gadget Lab. And we will be back next week. With a special guest. Mm. and cybercriminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click Here, stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines, satellite, engine ignition, click here, and lift off. Click here every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.